Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about acute left ventricular failure. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash acute LVF or in the cardiology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Acute left ventricular failure occurs when an acute event results in the left ventricle being unable to move blood efficiently through the left side of the heart and into the systemic circulation. Cardiac output is the volume of blood ejected by the heart per minute. Stroke volume is the volume of blood ejected during each beat. Cardiac output is the product of stroke volume times the heart rate. When blood cannot efficiently flow through the left side of the heart, there's a backlog of blood waiting in the left atrium, the pulmonary veins and the lungs. As these areas experience increased volume and pressure of blood, they start to leak fluid and they cannot reabsorb fluid from the surrounding tissues and this results in pulmonary edema. Pulmonary edema is where the lung tissue and the alveoli are filled with interstitial fluid. This interferes with normal gas exchange in the lungs, causing shortness of breath and reduced oxygen saturation. Let's talk about the triggers. Acute left ventricular failure is often the result of decompensated chronic heart failure. So a patient has chronic heart failure and this for some reason becomes decompensated and they go into acute left ventricular failure. The potential triggers for acute left ventricular failure are iatrogenic, for example aggressive intravenous fluids in an elderly frail patient with impaired left ventricular function, a myocardial infarction or a heart attack, arrhythmias or irregular beating of the heart, sepsis, or a hypertensive emergency where there's an acute severe increase in the blood pressure. A Tom tip for you, acute left ventricular failure and pulmonary edema are common in the acute hospital setting. When a nurse asks you to review a breathless and desaturating patient, ask yourself how much fluid that patient has been given and whether they're able to cope with that amount of fluid. For example, an 85-year-old patient with chronic kidney disease and aortic stenosis is prescribed 2 litres of fluid over 4 hours and then starts to drop her oxygen saturation. This is a common scenario and a dose of IV fruzamide can work like magic to clear the excess fluid and improve the symptoms. Let's talk about the presentation. Acute left ventricular failure typically presents with acute shortness of breath. This is exacerbated by lying flat and improves on sitting up. It causes a type 1 respiratory failure where there's low oxygen without an increase in carbon dioxide. Unlike type 2 respiratory failure where there's a low oxygen and a raised carbon dioxide. Symptoms include shortness of breath, looking and feeling unwell, and a cough with frothy white or pink sputum. Signs on examination include a raised respiratory rate, reduced oxygen saturations, tachycardia or a fast heart rate, 
a third heart sound, bilateral basal crackles on auscultation of the lungs, and these may be described as sounding wet, and hypotension or low blood pressure in severe cases, which is described as cardiogenic shock. There may also be signs and symptoms related to the underlying cause, for example chest pain in acute coronary syndrome, fever in sepsis and palpitations with arrhythmias. If they also have right-sided heart failure, you could also find a raised jugular venous pressure or JVP in the neck caused by a backlog on the right side of the heart leading to an engorged internal jugular vein and peripheral edema of the ankles, legs and the sacrum. Let's go through assessment of someone with acute left ventricular failure. Assessment would include a clinical assessment with a history and examination starting with an ABCDE approach in any acutely unwell patient, an ECG to look for ischemia and arrhythmias, bloods for anemia, infection, kidney function, a BNP, which we'll talk about more shortly, and consider a troponin if suspecting a myocardial infarction, an arterial blood gas or ABG, a chest x-ray, and an echocardiogram. Let's talk about B-type natriuretic peptide. BNP is a hormone released from the heart ventricles when the cardiac muscle or the myocardium is stretched beyond the normal range. A raised BNP blood result indicates the heart is overloaded beyond its normal capacity to pump effectively. The action of BNP is to relax the smooth muscles in blood vessels. This reduces systemic vascular resistance, making it easier for the heart to pump blood through the system. BNP also acts on the kidneys as a diuretic, promoting water excretion in the urine. And this reduces the circulating volume, helping to improve the function of the heart in someone that is fluid overloaded. BNP is sensitive, but not specific. This means that when the result is negative, it helps to rule out heart failure, but it can be positive due to other causes. The other causes of a raised BNP include tachycardia, or a fast heart rate, sepsis, pulmonary embolism, renal impairment and COPD. Let's talk about echocardiograms. Echocardiography is helpful in assessing the function of the left ventricle and any structural abnormalities in the heart. A key measure of the left ventricular function is the ejection fraction. This is the percentage of blood in the left ventricle that is squeezed out with each ventricular contraction. An ejection fraction above 50% is considered normal. Let's talk about the chest x-ray findings in acute left ventricular failure and pulmonary edema. Cardiomegaly on a chest x-ray is classified as a cardiothoracic ratio of more than 0.5. This is when the diameter of the widest part of the heart, the widest part of the cardiac silhouette, is more than half the diameter of the widest part of the lung fields. Upper lobe venous diversion may also be seen. 
Usually, when the patient is standing erect, the lower lobe veins contain more blood and the upper lobe veins remain relatively small. In acute left ventricular failure, there's such a back pressure that the upper lobe veins also fill with blood and become engorged. And this is referred to as upper lobe diversion. This is visible as increased prominence and diameter of the upper lobe vessels on a chest X-ray. Fluid leaking from edematous lung tissue causes additional X-ray findings of bilateral pleural effusions, fluid in the interlobar fissures between the lung lobes, and fluid in the septal lines, which are referred to as curly lines. Finally, let's talk about management. Patients with acute left ventricular failure require hospital admission. Patients with severe pulmonary edema or cardiogenic shock may require admission to the high dependency unit or the intensive care unit. So it's important to get experienced seniors involved early. You can remember the basic management for acute left ventricular failure with the sodium mnemonic. S is for sit-up, O is for oxygen, D is for diuretics, I is for intravenous fluids should be stopped, U is for underlying causes need to be identified and treated, for example a myocardial infarction, and M is for monitor the fluid balance. Sitting the patient up helps to oxygenate the lungs. When lying flat, the fluid in the lungs spreads to a larger area. And when upright, gravity takes the fluid to the lung bases, leaving the middle and upper areas clear for gas exchange. Oxygen should be given for reduced oxygen saturation, below 95%. As always, be cautious in patients who have COPD, where the target saturations may be 88-92%, to depending on the individual. An arterial blood gas can help to guide oxygen therapy when in doubt. Diuretics, for example IV frusamide, increase the urine output from the kidneys, reducing the volume of fluid in the circulation. Reducing the circulating volume in a fluid overloaded patient helps the heart to pump more effectively. Fluid balance monitoring involves monitoring the fluid intake, both oral and intravenous, urine output, Eusenes blood tests and the body weight. Severe cases may require, guided by an experienced specialist, intravenous opiates such as morphine which act as vasodilators, intravenous nitrates which also act as vasodilators and may be considered in severe hypertension or acute coronary syndrome, ionotropes such as dobutamine which improve cardiac output, vasopressors such as noradrenaline which improve blood pressure, non-invasive ventilation or invasive ventilation, which will involve intubation and sedation. Ionotropes are medications that alter the contractility of the heart, how the muscle contracts. Positive ionotropes act to increase the contractility of the heart. This increases the cardiac output and the mean arterial pressure. They're used in patients with a low cardiac output, for example due to acute heart failure 
a recent myocardial infarction or following heart surgery. Vasopressors are medications that cause vasoconstriction or narrowing of the blood vessels. This increases the systemic vascular resistance and consequently increases the mean arterial pressure. Vasopressors are commonly used by anaesthetists as a bolus dose or in the intensive care unit as an infusion to improve patients' blood pressure and therefore their tissue perfusion. So thanks for listening to this episode on acute left ventricular failure. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, consider becoming a member of the Zero to Finals Patreon account where you'll get early access to the podcast episodes and the YouTube videos. You also get access to the Zero to Finals digital flashcards as well as the full Zero to Finals question bank with short answer questions, multiple choice questions and extended matching questions so that you can test yourself on the information on the usual Zero to Finals website or in this podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll go through chronic heart failure.